Welcome to Run This World. My name is Nicole DeBoom. I'm a former pro athlete turned entrepreneur. Each week, I'll bring you insights and inspiration from some of the world's greatest visionaries who will help you run your world in ways that you didn't even realize were possible. All in the framework of the amount of time it takes for the average person to run a 5K. That's 36 minutes and 38 seconds, give or take a mile. We often go long, so get ready. Thank you for spending some time with me today. Now let's get this workout started. Hey everyone, coming at you from snowy cold Boulder, Colorado, the way it should be in early January, I guess. We are coming off an awesome holiday season across the board. Lots of fun in the DeBoom household with anniversaries and birthdays and presents. You you got it. You know the drill. My favorite gift for our little singer was a kid's karaoke machine. If you listen to New Year Nuggets with Tim, you'll hear Wilder sing one of my favorite songs. So check out that episode if you haven't. One of her babysitters literally said, Wilder's life is like a musical. Isn't that cool? Don't you wish yours could be too? Um, Well, I guess I'm thinking that you might walk away from today's episode feeling both inspired and motivated to make your life whatever you want it to be, whether it's a musical or a sporting event or whatever. My guest today is Emily Harvey, and she is many things. She's a disability rights attorney, the founder of a nonprofit called Limb 359. She's a lifelong athlete and lover of many different sports, and she's a Real Women Move skirt sports ambassador and a sports model. You'll see her in a lot of skirt sports uh, promotional materials. So get ready to dig into all things leggy today as she has been an amputee for virtually her entire life. I hope you enjoy this episode. Now let's bring her on. All right, are you ready? Ready. Ready to rumble? Ready. So this ready. Is the most nervous you've <laughs> ever been in your life? Um, no, because I'm not on screen. <laughs> <laughs> So thank you for making your way to the Republic of Boulder. (laughs) Thank you for having me. I mean, you live in the big city, don't you? Yeah, the big city of Denver. Awesome. Well, (laughs) I am sitting here with the lovely, talented, super smart Emily Harvey. It's going to be an awesome interview. I'm excited. I, you know, I've been thinking about how we're going to start this thing out. And I just keep thinking about your legs. (laughs) <laughs> I did get best legs in high school. Did you really? I did. Oh my gosh, I love that. Well, one of my great images is from a photo shoot that you were happy and willing to join us on. And at the end, we said, just bring out all your legs. Let's just do something with these. And and you're standing there holding like three or four legs. I love it. Yeah. Yeah. Um, my legs are definitely a big part of my life and they always have been. Um, well, let's, let's dig into that. Cause for some people listening, they might be thinking that we're, uh, <laughs> <laughs> this interview is going to go a different direction. Um, but you are an amputee. I am. And yeah, I want to I want to understand we're going to really dig into what it means to live life as an amputee. If there's any difference in living life not as an amputee. But uh before we even get there, I want to understand how you how you lost your leg. Sure. And uh I do just want to say that I can only speak to my experience and everyone's experiences are very different. So I can speak to my experience of being an amputee, but other people definitely have different experiences. 
my experience, I was born with a condition called fibular hemimelia, which means that I was born without my fibula bone in my leg, which is the stabilizing bone. And in addition to that, as I guess part of it, which is pretty common with kids who have fibular hemimelia, I had a bowed tibia and my left thigh is a lot shorter than my right thigh. And my left lower leg is also shorter. So even if I had kept my foot, I would have to wear a brace and then a foot underneath my foot. Okay, so let's do let's give people a little anatomy lesson. So <laughs> what is the fibula? <laughs> yes. So the the tibia and the fibula are the two bones in your lower leg. And the tibia is your weight bearing bone, so it's the thicker bone, it's what's your shin. And okay. then the fibula is the stabilizing bone, so it's what keeps your ankle stable and it's like your ankle bone, that's I believe your fibula. Okay. So so here's the deal. You come out. Here you are. You enter the world and your little baby and do they know right away that you had a leg issue? They knew I had an issue. They didn't know what it was. Ah. So the doctor, according to my mom, went home and did some research and came back the next day and said, I think that this is what your daughter has, Wow! but I'm going to send you to another doctor. And then they sent us to the other doctor and confirmed that that was what I had. Okay, so where where were you born? Where'd you grow up? I was born in Merced, California. I grew up all over. My dad was Air Force, so Mm, California, Texas, Louisiana, Washington State. Then I went to college in Virginia, lived in Tennessee for a little while, then up to the D.C. area, and then out to Denver. Okay, I just, you (laughs) lost me. But, I mean, the the point is... um, you know, maybe you don't have like a, a place you call home home from when you were a kid, but you grew up in an area. It wasn't like you had a rural doctor assisting. I mean, it, it's just that this is a rare condition. Um, It is rare. And I don't know that it's gotten more prominent or if they're just diagnosing it more now, but it people definitely know now when it happens. Okay. Unlike in the 80s when I was born. Got it. Okay. So right away, were they like, here's the deal. Here's what's going to happen. Here's Here are the uh, questions you're going to be faced with. Do we keep her leg? Do we remove part of the leg? You know, they knew that right away. Or were they like, let's take the approach of let's wait and see. So my parents actually saw three different specialists, including someone in Iowa. We traveled all over to get opinions from specialists. I was a hub for, uh, you know, hardcore technology, right? <laughs> yeah, yeah. So um, traveled around, got three different opinions, and the consensus was that amputation would lead to the most um, functional lifestyle. Okay. Mm-hmm. So my parents opted for that. And when I was, it was December of, I believe, 1986, my leg was amputated, so How I was about I was about a year and a half. Old, oh wow! Okay, I think maybe a little younger. So not walking yet, or actually, I walked at eleven months with a oh brace. Oh my gosh! <laughs> yeah. And then how big was the leg difference, leg length difference? When I was born, it was two centimeters, and now if I had my foot, it would be about six or seven inches. Oh wow! Okay, yeah, for sure. Okay, so amputate your leg you're a little kid you don't know any different you i'm sure don't even have a memory from before then no right of course okay so you're that really awesome little baby visual of a kid running around with i I actually have to tell you a story so my daughter wilder she's five kids are often um 
maybe the most honest, but can be the harshest, uh, <laughs> uh, you know, commentators on things. And Wilder went to a daycare early when she was, you know, shortly after she was born until she was about four. And it was her first experience with an amputee. One of her incredible preschool teachers was an amputee probably right below the hip. I mean, she had a full leg um, and she was incredible. And I don't know if she taught the kids to say this, but Wilder always called her robot leg Robin. <laughs> and so, so I said to Wilder this morning, I'm going to have a friend come over. Oh, what? Who? Can I meet her? And I said, well, probably not because the interview might be a little tough to put on. But um, I'm interviewing her for a lot of reasons, but she's also got a robot leg. And she was, <laughs> oh, very, very interested. It made her want to meet you even more. So does that, tell me about that. You're this little baby, a year and a half old with a robot leg. And I'm sure you went through a lot of legs because you're a lot taller and bigger than you were when you were a year and a half. So what happens next? Yeah, so I was fit with a prosthesis pretty much right away and sent out the door. No therapy that I, I mean, I was too young to remember, but mm. I don't remember my mom ever talking about therapy. I was just so young. They just kind of slapped the leg on me and sent me on my way. And then every year I would get a new leg. And it was partially because I was wow. growing and partially because I would literally wear holes in the front of my prosthesis from climbing on things. Wow. Is that common? Um, I believe it is. They didn't used to make legs out of carbon fiber. They used to make them out of fiberglass, so they were easier to wear holes in. Now they're carbon fiber, so they're a little bit tougher. But I definitely had holes in the front of my leg all the time. Do you have siblings? I have a younger brother. Okay, so he was not even born yet, maybe. No, he was born... If he was born, he was very young. Okay. Yeah. So he wasn't like, you know, playing games or doing crazy stuff um, to, to wear that leg out. No, no. <laughs> that was all me. <laughs> I think this is going to speak to, you know, your your path later in life and your adventurous spirit. But um, so how, do, how are your parents through this? Like, were they, did they raise you with any kind of certain mindset or philosophy on what you could or couldn't do? Uh, absolutely not. My parents, I tease my mom for being harder on me than she was on my younger brother just because I was the older mm. sister. But no, my parents had, you know, the same level of expectation for behavior and achievement and everything as they did for my younger brother and always encouraged me to try things that I wanted to try. Never ever told me that I couldn't do something because of my leg. They were very supportive, and if there was something I wanted to do, they would help me figure out a way to do it. So what were some of those things? So I played t-ball, I played soccer. They, <laughs> it always makes me laugh when I think about playing soccer because they would make me wear a shin guard on my prosthesis. Oh, I love that. Not like to, it would hurt. Not to protect me, it was to protect the other kids <laughs> oh. <laughs> in case they kicked me. Oh, it's great. So um, played, yeah, t-ball soccer. I played volleyball in middle school. And then when I was nine, I really got into horseback riding. And I guess I was eight. And that kind of took over. I did dabble in golf in high school when it was off season for horseback riding. But I went to college and rode. And that was the sport that really took my life 
Wow. Okay, so you were on, your college had an equestrian team? It did, yeah. What's equestrian? Okay, I know (laughs) there are people riding horses, but I know there's events. And what kind of events did you do? So I did three-day eventing, which is when you do dressage, which is when you ride a test that is set out for you in an arena and you get judged. Uh, So you get a score based on that. And then the second day is cross-country jumping. So you're out in a field, you're jumping over logs and in water and down ramps and over ditches. And it's kind of the part of three-day eventing that people do three-day eventing for. Um, It's the kind of the wild people that like to do that sport. And then the third day is stadium jumping. So you're jumping over jumps that can fall down in an arena. So were you at a disadvantage over people who had a full leg? Only in that sometimes I would get a lower score because my I rode with my stirrups uneven to account for my my knee height difference. Okay. And not being able to put my heel down, um, so it made me ride with a longer stirrup on the left side. So I would sometimes get sometimes get judges who would say your I think your stirrup is a little longer on that side, and that was really the only that time. That is so crazy. <laughs> yeah. Are they allowed to do that? Um, (laughs) I don't know. I mean, we won't point fingers. (laughs) Yeah. Yeah. So that was really the only thing that I felt disadvantaged by. I was, I would loosen up my leg and this wasn't the only time I would use this trick, but I would loosen it so that it would slide, it would slide lower and lower and lower until my leg was hanging way, way, way low off the side of the horse without falling off. And I loved tricking people by doing that. Oh my gosh. I wouldn't do it at shows, but when we were just riding around, I would loosen up my leg so it would slowly kind of fall off oh my okay so kids have to freak out well let's talk about kids for a minute because I mentioned you know my little girl they're just at that age at that really young age they're just very curious about everything in the world and they have no judgment about anything and they just point and ask about everyone and everything so when you're walking around or doing sports or whatever do kids often or even people uh strike up conversations what do they say and how does that feel so first kids uh the most often time that i talk to kids is in grocery stores when i'm standing in line usually i notice them kind of trying to look at my leg without (laughs) without really looking and they don't want me to catch them but i catch them and and i usually ask them do you want to ask me questions about my leg Mm. and then i say it's my robot leg because the leg i was born with it didn't work very well so they gave me a cool robot leg isn't that awesome or I'll tell them I'm a transformer um so (laughs) wait a minute okay (laughs) I do love that um that's cool so robot leg is kind of like common term terminology at least to the little ones yeah I think it's something that is relatable and easy for a kid to grasp with their you know their developing mind so I think that it's something that doesn't have a negative connotation already associated with it that we can use to mm-hmm. help explain our situation to kids who might yeah. otherwise feel uncomfortable. And I think it helps them feel more comfortable. Well, and often what's, what is uncomfortable is that the parent feels uncomfortable that their kid can't stop staring. And, and so I know it's only your experience that we can speak to today, but I often feel that it's better to actually say something than to pretend you're not looking. I don't know. What do you think? I agree with that. I think that when people, when parents 
try to guide their kid away from it and they are like don't stare don't look at them because they're different you know I know that their heart is in the right place and they're trying to do the right thing but I think that what they're doing is making it a taboo thing that they shouldn't ask about and then it kind of has a negative connotation associated Mm -hmm. with it because they're trying to get them to just ignore it right so I definitely prefer if I notice a kid looking at it I reach out to them because I want them to feel comfortable being able to talk to me about it yep oh and I love that idea of different and how so many people we're all different in certain ways and a lot of people have differences that you can't visually see yes you live in a world where people can visually see that one difference about you I'm sure there's more things that we can dig into here but um you know I think that is a really important thing for kids to learn early and for adults to be able to accept and not judge is difference absolutely yeah and you know sometimes it seems like it's harder because my big difference is so visible but it's kind of I can hide it if I wear pants and I kind of choose to have it out in the open to help people I guess see that it's okay to be different and to kind of rock your differences I guess so I don't know I I think it can be a lot harder for people who you can't see what their disability or their difference is and they're struggling with it inside and they have a harder time reaching out because it's not so obvious. All right, you just uh, mentioned the word disability. Yeah. And I, it's, a, it's a really interesting word to me. You know, the Paralympics, they're celebrating disabled athletes and then there's this whole thing about able-bodied versus, you know, disabled. And what's your take on that word? That's a big question, Nicole. I know. (laughs) I know. Um, You know, I kind of have to, you know, so there's disabled. The other big word that gets tossed around a lot is inspiration. And I have kind of complex feelings about the word inspiration. And ultimately what it boils down to is I think that words can have different connotations based on how we own them Mm. so like there's this whole you know is it an amputee or is it someone who with limb loss so I kind of embrace the amputee phrase and I claim to be an amputee rather than a person with limb loss because I think that if I call myself an amputee and people see me in a positive light that can bring a positive light on that word Mm -hmm. and I don't know I mean as far as disabled It's actually a question no one's asked me before. (laughs) Um, You know, I think that everybody has differences. And coming from my legal background, every word has kind of a legal definition. So the word disability for me in my, you know, career has a different meaning than Mm -hmm. it might have when I'm, you know, doing sports or just as a person in general. I do want to talk about the word inspiration, though, if you don't mind. Let's do Digging it. into that. <laughs> yeah, I was going to ask about that. This is perfect. I'm curious what your <laughs> angle is going to be here. Yeah, so there's this woman named Stella Young, um, and she's amazing. She, she passed away, but she had a YouTube or a TED Talk about inspiration porn and how 
she used a wheelchair and people would always call her inspirational just kind of for living her own life and she didn't like that she said I'm just living my life you know who are you to feel good about yourself because you called me an inspiration and I don't exactly take Stella's view and I'm not going to really dig into her view because I think she says it better and those who are interested can certainly Google yeah. Stella Young. Yeah. But I I parse it out between inspiration and motivation. That's how I've settled in my mind. And the difference I see is that inspiration in my mind is when someone says, oh, look at that girl who's running a half marathon, she's missing her leg. That's such an inspiration. I feel so warm and fuzzy inside. Motivation is when somebody says, look at that girl with a prosthetic leg running a half marathon. I'm going to go out and walk 30 minutes tomorrow. They actually take action Mm -hmm. on what they have seen and taken away from that experience. And I don't know that that's actually how the words are defined in the dictionary, but that's how I've defined them in my mind. Let's define them and that way. <laughs> I love that. That's how that's how I like to think of it. So if somebody, and when I did the half Ironman in Coeur d'Alene last year, I started right behind the pro women. So all of the fast age groupers were right on my tail. So I got passed by hundreds of people on the bike. I don't think I passed one single person. And I think if I had to average it out, every third person said something to me. Either you're an inspiration, you go girl, you know, and I'm just trying to race my race and all these people are trying to talk to me. <laughs> so was it, I, I was really curious about that actually. Um, is that is that a positive thing for you when people see you out there? And this literally, I know people think this. They go, well, if she can do it and she's got one freaking leg, then <laughs> I can do it. So you're used almost as like a benchmark for other people it gives them inspiration. It might motivate them too. Like, is that okay? There's, you can't really change it. People are going <laughs> to think that way no matter what. Yeah, it is okay. It's just, I always feel obligated to say something back to them if they say something to me and they don't realize that I'm saying this potentially hundreds of times in the case of mm-hmm. being on the bike for four hours, being passed like a lot. So Okay, we might just have to work on your bike speed. (laughs) I'm working on it, believe me. Um, But what I settled on, and I think that I should probably get um, paid by the band U2, but I kept saying U2. And it wasn't even always appropriate in response to whatever they said to me, but I was at least saying something back to them, and I wasn't having to think about what an appropriate response was, because that takes away from my, like my race and my experience this is a tough thing because if i see someone who's doing something extraordinary i want to give them a pat on the back they may be the last person in a race and i want to give them a pat on the back they might be winning the race they might be have you know an amputee out doing a 70.3 i don't know and um it puts an extra layer of weight on you it's like when people become celebrities, now they've got to just deal with a bunch of stuff. It's true. <laughs> You're a celebrity in a sense, you know, like you, it is just something that you can't, you have to figure out how to embrace that for you. Absolutely. Yeah. And I know other people who have decided just to ignore the comments and huh. I I can see where they're coming from and I certainly understand that perspective, but I don't want to discourage people from giving praise when they think that they should. 
and I don't want them to feel bad about saying something nice. And so that's why in Coeur d'Alene, I just settled on you two. What's harder is when people want to have full-on conversations during races. I've been running, the first 5K I ran, I had a guy who wanted to run with me the whole time. It's like every race, I have somebody who wants to run with me. How do we get through this? How do we figure, we have to figure out a way (laughs) to make this something you can take forward but still fulfill your own goals. Yeah. Have you come up with anything yet? Um, The best thing I've come up with, at least for the conversationalists, is to say that it's really nice to meet them and, you know, I appreciate that they want to run with me, but I need to focus on myself and if they want to come find me after the race, that's fine. Or now I have a blog that has a public Facebook page, so I can send them to that. Okay, what's the blog? We're going to put this in the show notes. It's Amp Try Life. Yep, Amp Try Life. (laughs) All right, well, let's, uh, let's go back in time again a little bit here. We... We paused when we were talking about your equestrian background and and you rode in college. I mean, this is no small feat. This was your life. Absolutely. Yeah. It was a passion. It was definitely a passion. Um, So what happened after that? Like I said, I started riding when I was eight or nine. I started working with a woman named Cindy when I was 14. And um, sorry, Um, I went home after my first year of college. And um, we were at a horse show in Montana, and her horse stepped in a hole and rolled on top of her and it killed her. Oh my God. So that was 12 years ago, and it still gets me. Um, she had become like a, like a, an aunt or a second mom to me. I mean, I had friends tease me in high school because I would never go on dates or go to dances, or very rarely go to dances because I was always with the horses. Um, so, so after Cindy passed, um, I rode in college for another year, but I just couldn't, I couldn't stick with it. So I'm going to like give you a minute here cause this is hard stuff. I know, um, having an event like that, that creates so much loss for you for something you were so passionate about and it changed the way that you viewed that sport and that big part of yourself. It just was never the same again, was it? It wasn't. And, you know, I was, I think I was 20 when it happened. So I was pretty, pretty young and um, I had a hard time for a few years after that. Um, Just, you know, thinking life wasn't fair. It's not. I mean, that's the thing. It's really not. I mean, there's so many things that happen to us that we can't control. And I mean, I think what your whole background epitomizes that and what you've decided to do for a living is help other people who probably feel the world hasn't been fair to them as a disability rights attorney. And um, I'm so sorry that you went through that and so young too. And as part of you you know, resent that sport now, that thing that you loved? No, um, I definitely don't resent it, and I still have dreams about it. And and I have a very good friend who grew up riding, and she was kind of my cohort at the barn with Cindy, and she has gotten back into riding and um, teaches, and so she's definitely handled it in a different way. It just 
it just wasn't this I didn't have the same passion and I think she still does and it's very fortunate that she still does but it was just never going to be the same for me after that and um so you went through this horrible loss in your life and you came out the other side and it still hurts clearly because it was a person that you lost Mm -hmm. and more than that it sounds like and uh how do you move yourself forward during those tough times? You were 20 years old. I mean, very strong 20-year-old person. But how? what advice do you have for other people who are going through loss? Um, accept the support of the people around you and, you know, share in the memory of that person. She had a thousand, approximately a thousand people come to her memorial service. Yep, she um, was very special. People flew in. We were in, I lived in Washington State. People flew in from all over the world to be there. Um, and I was one of the people that spoke at the service. So that was really special. And we got to celebrate her life. And I think just, you know, celebrating the life of that person and everything that they stood for. And one of the things that she stood for was to have passion for what you do in life, whether that's, I mean, her passion was her work and her pleasure because she owned a riding barn and you know taught lessons and that was her whole life but she always was very focused and she was very motivated very passionate um and i think that you know taking on some of those values and trying to live live those values every day is a good way to still feel like they're with you so you take a piece from each person who's crossed your path and they you may have lost them they may not have passed away but you still I think are affected by everyone who touches you and some people more than others absolutely well what do you stand for <laughs> you know you at you said here's what she stood for what do you stand for yeah so one of the big things in my life is and you mentioned it is trying to help other people and I take great pleasure and it's very selfish actually because I take great pleasure in helping other people I understand (laughs) that concept it's it is it's an interesting one it is yeah I I was a swim coach many many moons ago and I I would come home from swim meets or practices feeling like this is the greatest. These people, these kids are doing better because of me. (laughs) (laughs) It does feel like a selfish pursuit in an unselfish profession. Yeah. 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 So I don't know if you want to kind of go into some of those things. I would love to do that. (laughs) Let's do it. So one of the things, and I'm going to go kind of in, um, what's the, when you go by year, I don't know. Chronological Chronological order. order. Yes. So in 2013, um, I had recently moved to Denver and met a girl who was working for my husband, Zach, and she was born without her arm and her leg. And we were talking about support groups for amputees and about how we had both grown up without a limb, her two, me one, and how we never felt like support groups were for us. 
because support groups are great um, and I definitely don't want to say anything negative about discussion-based support groups because I think that they're very beneficial but for us who had grown up that way or for us who didn't want to go talk about it we thought that there was a potential to fill a gap in what existed already and that was our kind of jumping start for starting LIM 359 which is an activities-based support group so it's a group that meets up and we go we've gone rock climbing indoors we've gone kayaking we've done picnics we do dinners a lot go bowling all sorts of activities so providing a safe environment to try new activities that kind of push you out of your comfort zone so we had one girl we went skiing and snowboarding last month and we had a girl who lost her leg due to cancer a couple years ago and she hadn't snowboarded since then but she was an avid snowboarder before that she lost her leg above the knee which is kind of a huge deal particularly why what's the difference so every joint you lose makes it harder and the knee joint um the prosthetic knees that they make they can be just kind of locked into place or the ones that when they swing, so they're more like a natural knee, Mm -hmm. there's a point at which the knee just breaks, so you would fall. So you can't really easily stand in in an athletic stance, except if you're in a particular knee. And she didn't have that knee. So my husband, Zach, who's a prosthetist, he fiberglassed her knee so that it was in an athletic stance, and she literally had to walk around with her knee bent all day, even when we were in the lodge eating lunch. But she snowboarded for the first time since losing her leg and did phenomenal and just had such an amazing day that it made me feel so good, even though I was just skiing and just, you know, whatever. But she just was so excited and it just made me feel so good that that I had a small piece in helping her be able to do that again. Well, and you're doing that for so many people. I mean, and the cool thing about it is you're you're so normal and so relatable, <laughs> yet you've had an extraordinary life, you know, and um, these people feel very alone and like they can't do certain things. And you're out there showing them that, no, they can do it again. They can rediscover those passions that they had. Yeah, definitely. It's amazing. Um, tell me more about Limb 359. So that's a nonprofit, right? It is a nonprofit. Yep. And I love this idea of support groups versus doing activities with a bunch of people that actually turns into its own support group because you're probably having the same conversations. Yeah. You're just not sitting around a circle staring at each other. Yeah. And and more emotion and probably more therapy comes out when you're actually being active with like-minded people, wouldn't you say? I think so. Um, I also think it depends on the person. I think there are definitely people who are not comfortable coming to something that's activities-based that are comfortable going to a more classic discussion-based support group. And that's why I think it's really important for both to exist. Yeah, that's great. So you're filling the ladder. So anyone listening. Yeah. And so is it? it's for people with limb loss? Yep. Okay. Um, any other random people who show up sometimes and you're like, you didn't lose a limb, you can't come in? <laughs> or how does that work? <laughs> so most of our events are open to um, members or supporters, people okay. missing limbs or just people who support our group. 
we do have some events that if we partner with other organizations, like when we partnered with the National Sports Center for the Disabled last month, they do limit the lessons to people who have disabilities. So sometimes we do have to limit it, but Mm -hmm. in general, we welcome anyone to our activities. Um, We just had, well, I guess it was a couple months ago, but in October we had our fundraiser. We have one fundraiser every year. It's called Hop Fest. Love that. Yes. And, you know, um, people drink beer and have a silent auction, and I'm sure we will be having it again sometime this year, hopefully October again. Good. Well, we'll have you back on before then so we can promote it. Um, So you said your husband is a prosthetist, although I keep screwing up how I... Did I say it right? Mm -hmm. All right. Um, (laughs) Did you meet him because of your limb loss? Or like, this just random, but I'm very curious. Yeah. So I'll tell that story. But first, I'm going to say something that you might have to cut out. Um, So (laughs) when I was in college, I was volunteering at a prosthetics lab and I was a math tutor in the math lab. And every time I told people what I was doing, they thought that I said I was a prostitute who worked in a meth lab. Oh <laughs> my God, I love it. No, we're keeping that in for sure. That is perfect. Um, okay, so how I met Zach. So I went up to the DC area after college, a couple years after college, to work for a colonel doing some research in prosthetics at Walter Reed Army Medical Center. And Zach had been working there and I told Zach, um, well, so we started commuting together because we both happened to live, we live less than a mile from each other, but like 17 miles from the hospital, which in DC is like an hour, two hour commute. So we started commuting together and just kind of spending time together as friends. And I told him that I wouldn't date a coworker and that made him pursue me more. And... (laughs) And then, I don't know, we went on a camping trip, and the next thing I know, we were dating, and we dated two years before we got engaged, and then... That is awesome. Yeah. (laughs) You were courted by commute. Yes. So, kind of because of my leg, because I don't know that I would have even known about the prosthetics field had I not had my leg amputated. So, that was what kind of led me into that job, which is where I met Zach, so... Well, and it's it's pretty cool because then you're both in a world that overlaps, that is helping people and inspiring and motivating people. Um, and I think one of the big issues that I want to touch on here has to do with self-esteem and confidence and body confidence and, um, and especially as a woman, right? Mm-hmm. So you talked about Stella. She was probably lacking some self-confidence prior to the event you guys did up, you know, got her back on the snowboard, right? Oh, Danae. Sorry, Danae. <laughs> did I say the wrong? Okay. Um, so, you know, I was just thinking about, like, imagining the look on her face and how something inside of her probably shifted with the knowledge that she could, you know, tackle something she thought would be impossible. Mm -hmm. Tell me about how, what your experience is with this concept of self-confidence and body image. Yeah, so, you know, when I was riding horses, I very much defined myself by that activity. And, you know, it was such a huge part of who I was. And I was very confident in myself because of my horseback riding and then after Cindy's accident and my kind of I guess changing um 
perspective of the sport, I definitely lost some of that. I don't know that I ever, you know, was depressed or didn't have any self-confidence or self or positive body image, but I definitely did lose some of that. And then when I started doing triathlons, it all kind of came back. So (laughs) I think that at least for me, I think that sport has had a huge impact on how I view myself and how I define myself. And that in turn affects my self-esteem and also my confidence because I think confidence comes a lot from self-esteem. And what, so what is it about sport? How does it make you feel? It just makes you feel like you could tackle the world. I mean, when I did the 70.3 last year, I was by no means fast, but I did it. And I was the only female amputee out there. There was a male amputee. but it's amazing. <laughs> he actually tried to run with me for a while. He was too fast, though. Oh. <laughs> um, <laughs> but, I mean, it just makes you feel like I can do this and I can tackle any of the challenges that are thrown at me because I can do this. And I think that that's something that, I don't know if it's unique to sport, but sport is where I have found that. And I just think that it's... Um, a very special thing that we can do I think um I think I love that and I agree I mean I fully wholeheartedly agree that sports bring you goal setting and strength and confidence is such a big word and I think it's really interesting that it's I think a very normal cycle that people will start to tear themselves down from time to time and lose confidence. It can be triggered by somebody else, by somebody saying something to you, by who knows what, Mm -hmm. um, putting on weight, whatever it is. And we look in the mirror and we'll hit these points in our lives where we only look at the things that we don't like about ourselves. Why do we do that? I don't know, but I can tell you a story about when I did that. When I was in my first year of law school, I needed to have surgery on my leg because I had a neuroma, which is like when your nerves get all balled up and shoot, it shoots like electric pain all up your body. Um, And then I had like a kind of a bone spur on the bottom of my leg. So I needed to have surgery. So I scheduled it for spring break of my first semester of law school. And is this in the part where the prosthetic attaches? Yeah. Yeah. So it's in the bottom of my leg. And I had to be on crutches for eight weeks. I couldn't wear my leg for eight weeks. And that was really the first time in my life where I felt truly limited by not having my leg. And part of it was maybe because I had to carry, I don't a thousand pounds of law school books and a backpack on crutches. <laughs> but you know, it was and I was on painkillers. I mean, it was just it was it was a rough time. And there are people who are able to function using crutches and they do very well and it doesn't affect their self-esteem. But I in my head see myself as a girl with a prosthetic leg and that's how I'm confident. So when I wasn't able to wear it and I had to go to law Mm. school with my leg wrapped, not wearing my prosthesis, you know, having to prop it up in the middle of class and it was, it was uncomfortable. And, um, I actually wrote a blog about this and I think it might be on the limb three, five, nine page, not my personal blog, but interestingly enough, I also don't have as much self-confidence when I wear my quote-unquote real leg. Um, so I have a leg that was made for me 
that is very intricate, hours and hours of work. It looks very real and it freaks me out. And <laughs> I wore it for Why my, does it freak you out? Um, because I don't see myself as Emily with two biological legs. That's not how I'm confident. That's not how wow. I yeah. have positive self-esteem. I see myself as Emily with the robot leg. So I that leg sits in the closet, unfortunately. And Zach always gives me a hard time about it. But it's not what I'm comfortable in. But why does he give you a hard time? <laughs> because he, he made it. That, he actually <laughs> didn't make that one. Um, but no, he thinks that it looks great and that I should wear it. And he, you know, as we've talked about it, he is okay with me not wearing it. It's just that he knows somebody put a lot of time mm-hmm. into it. And then I just cast it away into the depths of my closet to freak me out every time I happen to see it because it looks so <laughs> real. But it's just... It's not who I see myself as. It's not the skin I'm comfortable in. So we need to embrace who we are. Absolutely. That is the a really good message here for everybody. And when you look in the mirror and your eyes go straight to that thing you don't like about yourself, how do we shift people into either liking it or looking somewhere else? Yeah. I don't know. I mean, that's a hard question, but I'll go back to, you know, at least for me personally, I think that sport allows us to do that and you know not everyone is able to participate in sports and I understand that but you know if you can if there is a way to participate and that does it for you I think it is an option for people to try because like I said when I'm out there doing my 70.3 even though everybody and their brother's trying to talk to me you know I'm still out there I'm still proud of myself for what I'm doing and um you know when I look in the mirror I think about what I did and how my body did that and even though my body's not perfect it still did that and I'm proud of it for that and maybe instead of thinking that our bodies aren't perfect because everybody listening is also thinking about something about their body they don't think is perfect why don't we just say our bodies are all perfect because (laughs) we were made the way we were made yeah I mean if you come out and you think that there's a part of you that's missing and literally in your life there was Like, you will always feel like you're less of a whole, right? Yeah. And you're not. Yeah. And you've proven that to yourself, and especially through hard times, you've come out stronger. This is, like, such a big issue and big topic. Um, So so let's – we're way over 5K, by the way. (laughs) We're at 44 minutes. Um, So we're going to start – we're going to start wrapping it. But I do want to ask you a couple quick things. So I want to understand your journey to the sport of triathlon. Tell me, how did you get there? Because this is a crazy sport for anybody, (laughs) people with two legs for sure. So why did you, why were you drawn to this sport when your background had nothing to do with swimming, biking, and running? Yeah, so my aunt, actually, my mom's sister, was a big triathlete. She still is, actually. She did Kona twice in the 80s. All right, old school. Yeah, she went to age group nationals last year, so she's still Mm. in it. And when I was in law school, I was like, I think after law school, triathlon will be my next like thing that I do. And fast forward, moved to Denver, start running, um, had been biking casually, and the swim was the piece missing. And the Challenge Athletes Foundation was out here doing a swimming clinic up in Boulder, actually. And I came up here and we had it as our Limb 359 event for the month. 
and I did not want to participate, but I did not want to be a hypocrite even more. So since I'm the president of the group, I (laughs) um, got my swimsuit on and jumped in the pool and loved it so much that instead of one hour, I stayed in for two hours and said, you know what, I'm gonna do a triathlon. So I did a sprint that summer and I applied to go to the Challenge Athletes Foundation triathlon camp in San Diego. And I went to that in August, I believe. And I met Mark Sortino there. Um, He's actually on the front cover of USA Triathlon this month. So shout out to Coach Mark. Um, And I, at that camp, I was like, this is the thing that I can excel at. And I can, I mean, I'm not fast, but like I can excel personally at, and I can fill that gap that I've had since I stopped riding. And it's funny because it is totally different from riding, but I think that I bring a lot of knowledge from my riding background to my triathlon current experience. Um, you know, like making lists to prepare for the next day so you don't forget anything, (laughs) you know, that kind of stuff. And also, I don't know what it is about me, but I like having the three different things to do. So, um, so that's kind of, I guess, how I got into it. And that was in 2014. And then I did five sprints the next summer. And then last year I did an Olympic and the 70.3 and then I broke my rib and was out the rest of the season (laughs) and I remember that because you came to a skirt sports photo shoot and you had a broken rib you know I think that's a path many people can relate to and part of the hardest part is just trying to overcome the hurdles when you're trying something brand new and so to have a group or an event where your whole motivation was, I don't want to be a hypocrite, so I'm yeah. get in there. Um, but it changed your life. It did, yeah. So what are your future plans? I mean, let me let me back up a sec. You, you are running Limb 359. You're doing great for people out there who suffer from limb loss. You're a disability rights attorney. You probably have a million stories, but you can't tell them yeah. because of attorney-client <laughs> privilege. Um, you're an athlete, you're a wife. I mean, what what's the future hold for you? What were you put here to do? <laughs> um, I'm also on the board of Cycle of Hope, which is Trisha Downing's ah, yes. nonprofit. Um, check that out too. Yes, shout out to Trisha. She yes. was one of my podcast guests back in the day. Yes. Um, so the question is, what is my purpose? Um, I don't know. I mean... I've always been struck by the fact that, like I mentioned, a thousand people came to Cindy's memorial service, and I've always kind of wanted, like, if I were to go, which when I go, not if I go, when I go, I want that many people to have been impacted by me and what I've done, so that's kind of something that I've always carried with me, and I don't know why that's so important to me, but that's kind of a little bit my driving force. I just want to have a positive impact on as many people as I can. Well, I can say from knowing you for the past year or so, just being yourself out there in this world, you're having a positive impact. Thank you. So thank you. All right, so we've run way more than a 5K as we do almost every time these days because we just can't stop talking. It's It's been incredible. Um, but here's my last question, and I ask it of every guest who comes on the show. 
So if you could give our listeners one nugget, one piece of advice that would help them run their worlds in a bigger and better way than before, what would it be? So I don't know if I'm going to say this very eloquently, but I think that, you know, it's very important to have the self-confidence so that you can have a positive impact on other people. And if you can remember that and remember that maybe your driving force for finding what it is that makes you happy is not just to make you happy, but also to give you the power to have a positive impact on others. So it's a very kind of self-centered, but not self-centered view, I guess. And I don't even know if it makes sense, but (laughs) it does make sense. I mean, it's about gaining your own self-confidence and grounding in this world and letting others draw from that. And I think it's so valid. It's awesome. Well, thank you so much. Oh, you're it's welcome. been a blast you. having you on the show. And, thank you uh, for having me. We will be looking forward to all of the incredible, wonderful, great things you do in this world. Thank you, Nicole. How about that? Wasn't that cool? So I guess uh, thanks for listening. How about that? How about we start with that? Thanks for listening today. My favorite part of the interview was when Emily said... We got to rock our differences. I love that message. I'm totally curious what stood out to you. You know, I don't get a lot of comments on my website. So I'm wondering if when you have a minute, you could zip over to NicoleDeBoom.com and post a comment about this episode. I guess in any others for that matter, something that stood out to you, something you wish we would have dug into more, who knows. And if you're on SoundCloud, if you have an account on SoundCloud, Uh, you'll notice that I just opened one too. So please be sure to follow me there and anywhere else you want to hang out with me. I'm in a lot of places. All right, everyone, you know what time it is. It's time to go out there and run this world. Have a great workout, and I'll see you next week.